Just Enough Doctorate to Perform, the podcast that combines scientific fact with spontaneous improvisation in a lethal concoction of light entertainment littered with laughs. And speaking of lethal substances, in this episode we will be delving into the world of deadly poisons, sinister substances, and asking the million dollar question, who done it? The answer in this particular case being Dr. Catherine Harkup, whose book A is for Arsenic, The Poisons of Agatha Christie, is the subject we will be chatting about in today's podcast. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Now, Catherine, um, an excellent book. I've been really enjoying it. But I was wondering, um, what inspired you to write a book specifically about Agatha Christie? Agatha Christie is... uh, She's brilliant. She is the most uh, popular author. She's outsold everyone bar God and Shakespeare. Mm. So um, she's very, very good. And she's a brilliant science communicator, which really uh, speaks to me. You might not think of Christie as a science writer, but there's lots of science in there. Just enough to give you all the clues that you need, but without putting off her readers, which I think is a real skill. Now, as you mentioned there, she has only been outsold by the Bible and William Shakespeare, which in the grander scheme of literature is a really phenomenal statistic. Um, What do you think makes her work so special? Why does it resonate with so many people? Um, they are really good puzzles. So if you read her books, uh, you always think, oh, I can outdo Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple. I'll mm. get there before them. But I promise you, having read all 83, <laughs> uh, that I only successfully guessed once uh-huh. in the entire time. And I, you know, I thought I would get into it and understand, you know, she must have a process. But no, she, she is extremely good at disguising clues or presenting them so obviously you ignore it because it's too obvious. So it's a really gratifying thing to have a solution to this little puzzle, but also, regardless of what you think about murder mysteries, if you read Agatha Christie, they're just really good entertainment. Amazing. Well, thank you, and welcome, Catherine. And joining us for our adventure into the murky world of murder is our science expert and lecturer in electronic and electrical engineering, Dr. Radu Sporia. Radu, welcome. Hello. Now, Radu, um, Catherine has read over 80 Agatha Christie novels. Have you ever read an Agatha Christie novel? Yes, I would say I have, I have, and I have read most of them. I can't remember half of them, but they're absolutely brilliant. And I think we're all in the Sprayer household. We're all Agatha Christie fans. Good to know. Um, so as we will come on to discuss, and as Catherine has mentioned, Agatha Christie has a very strong science background. Um, and as a scientist, have you ever considered combining your science knowledge with fiction and ever writing a novel? Um, I have in the last 10 seconds. Now <laughs> So a fairly new development in your mm. academic career. Um, and it's fair to say a few scientists have um, dipped their toes into this. So um, I guess some notable examples being people like Carl Sagan and his novel Contact. Um, are there any that you have favourites? Um, I would mention Arthur C. Clarke, who mm. technically was a scientist, I suppose. Uh, but he's best known for his fiction. Uh, he was brilliant, wasn't he? Good example, actually. Um, the the concept of satellites were first... Uh, Mobile communication, indeed. that sort of thing. Yeah, Came through his fiction and then uh, became a reality. So, amazing stuff. Well, uh, welcome, Roddy. And joining us in our improvised adventures, we welcome Johnny Bryars, member of improvised comedy group Left Foot First, and soon to be a graduate of the University of Surrey. Johnny, welcome. Hi, Mark. So, Johnny, same question for you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read an Agatha Christie novel? No. Ah. Zero books read. Well, that is not a red herring at all. That's an <laughs> obvious calamity, but never mind. Um, but building on the idea of murders, um, as an improviser, the ability to be spontaneous is obviously a key asset. So putting you on the spot, um, if you had to conduct an innovative murder, what form would it take and where would it take place? 
That's a great question. Um, you've really put me on the spot here. <laughs> um, I just looked around the room and saw a clock. Ah. Um, I think it would be cool to do something involving time. Ooh. Um, so there's a classic one, which is uh, you know the riddle about the uh, the guy who stood on the ice cube. I forget how the rest of it goes. I just know that the solution is that he stood on an ice cube. Um, so that's time related. I actually don't know what that riddle is. Oh, the classic locked room example. Yes. Dead body found in a room, and they can't figure out how he died. They oh, realise that actually it was ice, and the ice melted, and that was what caused his death. Okay. So time is a big factor. Mm-hmm. And that's your spontaneous murder. What you could have picked out is that the clock, and obviously our, our listeners can't see this, but the clock is completely wrong. So <laughs> stopped. Oh. <laughs> so that's why he's still alive. Yeah. Okay. But also, I could drop a, a killer punchline when I go "time to die," and then some kind of time would kill him. And uh, I like that the uh, the killer punchline had a pun in it as well. Absolutely, killer punchline. Very good. Well, welcome, Johnny. Well, let's move on to our, our first section of the show. This is the science and fact section, and we're going to take a look at Agatha Christie herself and how she came to write novels which employed methodically researched and what you might describe as scientifically accurate poisonings. Um, so I rather like one of the first reviews that Agatha Christie um, ever received, Catherine, which is uh, against one of her early novels, um, and it was described by the Pharmaceutical Journal and Pharmacist as a novel that um, has the rare merit of being correctly written, which, um, given superlatives were not always forthcoming in the 1920s, might be uh, considered as today's equivalent of a glowing five-star review. Um, But perhaps you could explain how Agatha Christie's interactions with poisons began. I I believe it all started with her work during the First World War. Absolutely. During the First World War, she volunteered to be a nurse initially, as many women did. And she was working in a hospital when it was suggested to her that she might like to work in the dispensary. So to work um, compounding drugs. So this was a time before you had pre-prepared drugs. You had to make everything by hand, Mm. pills, lotions, tonics, etc., etc. And it was a, a real skill Hmm. and you had to learn not only the practical aspects but also a lot of chemistry so she studied theoretical as well as practical chemistry she sat exams and she qualified as a hospital as a dispenser and she worked uh, the rest of that war so uh, the final year of the first world war and she volunteered again in the second world war working with these drugs and um, and, well distributing them within the hospital to the correct uh, dosages and I think it's amazing that she had this um, very prolific science career, but she was actually able to combine it and find the time to write so many novels. Well, in her, the Second World War, apparently, by the time the Second World War came along, a lot more drugs were pre-prepared, so mm. there were stock solutions, and there was a lot less for her to do. So she frankly found herself sitting around. She had to be in the dispensary. Mm. That was the only real criteria. And once she'd done all the work, she was free to think up plot lines and... Um, Right, basically. Mm. So during the Second World War, I believe she wrote 12 novels, which is an astonishing rate. That's, that's roughly a novel every half year. Absolutely. And the quality of the novels that came out of that period are absolutely top-notch. Some of her classics were written at that period. Amazing. You get the impression she never wasted a minute. Uh, no, I, I don't <laughs> think she um, rested on her laurels at all. Fantastic. Well, I was struck by one of the examples you cited in the book, um, where Agatha Christie was being tutored by a commercial pharmacist, a man known as Mr P, slightly like sinister the name, um, in the production of uh, suppositories. Um, Perhaps you could tell us about the time Mr P confused the metric system with the imperial system in his measurements um, and the near consequences of this action. So this occurred, it would have been 1917-ish, 
And the predominant system of calculating things at the time was the old apothecary system. So you weighed out everything in grains, which was literally a grain of wheat or whatever it was. Um, It was quite a precise measurement, but it was not in any way the metric system we're familiar with today. But there was a conversion going on, and he was using the new metric system to him, and it confused him. He got his decimal point in the wrong place, and he gave... He made up these suppositories with ten times the necessary medicine, which is potentially dangerous. I Mm. don't know if it would have been lethal. I don't Mm. know what the drug was. But it was dangerous. And um, Christie had a a lifelong horror of the the metric system because of this factor of ten out that you could be. So she was... She was brilliant. She noticed the error and she was too timid and she was a young woman, she was training. She didn't want to call out uh, Mm. the guy who was training her. So she staged an accident and she um, threw all of these suppositories to the the floor and trod on them so they couldn't possibly be given out. And so they had to be remade and of course she made sure that they were made to the correct dosage. Wow. So an inadvertent hero playing the Absolutely, yes. How about you, Radu? As a scientist, has there ever been an occasion where you've confused the decimal point? (laughs) (laughs) No. um, I hope, at least. Um, It it will bubble up if if I have, I suppose. Um, No, I don't think so, but it is is very uh, very easy to do Mm. these sorts of... um, um, you know, uh, errors in calculation, particularly when you're looking at, say, volume. Right. So if, if you have something with seven digits after the decimal point, and then you take it to the third power, um, it can be quite confusing, um, mm. even if you do it with a, with a calculator. But um, it's, um, yeah, and it, it, it can go completely out of whack if you, if you miss it. A decimal point, is, is, um, as in an order, mm. would be fantastically large, um, as a difference, obviously, again, with potential consequences. But in electronics these days, in fact, uh, even a few percent are problematic for all sorts of reasons, yeah. which we might get into. There's been plenty of famous examples where there's been computer. There was a satellite. Was it the Russians yeah. sent a, a probe and they confused the the, the measurement system? And the, the, I think it was the Americans yeah. confused. Um, they're still working in Imperial, yeah. yeah, and everyone else is working in metric. So the Precisely. two don't necessarily. On the International Space Station, the water systems from the Russian part and the UK part and the mm-hmm. American part cannot mix. Really? Yeah, they have to have independent systems simply because they're working on different processes. So borders extend to space. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Very much so. Well, going very quickly back to the character of Mr. P, who we mentioned a second ago, um, a quite an interesting guy, because he, he uh, as you allude to in the book, Catherine, he carried around a lump of curare, I think I've said that correctly. Yes, yes. Um, and he was a, that was a compound that's safe to eat, but deadly if introduced directly into the bloodstream. And uh, Mr. P explained to Agatha Christie that he carried it around with him because it makes me feel powerful. Um, so powerful, in fact, that Mr. P was resurrected 50 years later as the pharmacist in Christie's novel, The Pale Horse. Um, and this does seem to be a recurring theme where um, characters or real news stories um, concerning poisons uh, appear in Christie's novels. Um, and I was wondering, Catherine, are there any other examples that stick out to you or, or particularly shaped any of um, Christie's writings? There are lots of examples. Having read all of her books again and reading around real-life murders, especially poisonings, it's incredible how many parallels there are. And clearly she used... She didn't copy them exactly, but she used them as sources of inspiration. There's a famous case in uh, France of a an arsenic-laced cake, oh. which she possibly used in... Um, a, 
a novel called After the Funeral. And it's just little ideas that when you're reading through, it's like, oh, maybe she got that from there. I don't know for sure, but it's um, a really interesting way of constructing novels and, and plots. Amazing, very cool. Well, thank you for that. I think it's time to play our first improvisation game. Um, now, the game I'd like to play is <coughs> excuse me, Scene Replay. The premise of this game is very simple. Our imp improvisers act out a scene, and then we replay exactly the same scene with the same dialogue and actions, um, but in a completely different style or genre. Now, I should stress, this is all um, completely made up on the spot. Um, this game has not been pre-planned. So, why don't we use Agatha Christie as our prompt, as we've been discussing here. Uh, Catherine, Radu, and Johnny, I'd like you to, uh, to depict Agatha Christie doing something quite mundane. So let's see her working in her dispensary at the pharmacy um, with a, a colleague and a boss. So Catherine, you can be Agatha Christie, and uh, Johnny, you can be the colleague, and Rada, you can be the boss. Um, so let's see this scene uh, in, nor in a normal style first. Um, so take it away. Hello, Miss Christie. I take it all the preparations are ready? Of course. I, I, I've been working diligently. I, I've uh, diluted everything up to the appropriate dosage and uh, I'm ready for your prescriptions, Doctor, so that I can uh, make up the appropriate pills. Here you go. Uh, um, so, sorry, your handwriting's really bad. Is that um, strychnine or, or suppository? What, what would you expect? I'm not the doctor. I, I, I wouldn't want to give someone a suppository when they should be given strychnine. Well, in fairness, I can't read what I've just written here. <laughs> okay, we'll just make it up. Uh, doctor, could you help me here? Perhaps. Um, you've written me this letter. I don't know what the letter says. It's an entire page worth of writing. I, is, it, is it squiggles? This would be one of our standard letters, where we invite you for... Mm -hmm. um, an exam of your man parts. Okay. I just find a strange... You're here, sir. I, what gonna, can I do for you? Well, I guess I'm going to have to... You're going to have to look at my man parts, I suppose. I think we're going to stop it there. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite incredible. Um, given that you were introduced as a co-work colleague, I, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the examination of um, said gentleman past was uh, unexpected. However... Everyone has had it done, Mark. That's absolutely right. Let's don't shy away from that. Um, well, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Um, so we're going to now see that same scene replayed, um, but in the style of a Western movie. So, same dialogue and actions, or roughly, uh, but replayed in the style of a Western movie. Take it away. So, Doctor, what can I get you? Some booze would be good. Excellent. Uh, um, what kind of, of strength booze? Are we pure alcohol, or are we going to add something to give it a little kick? Let's go with pure alcohol with some of your magic, Mrs Christie. Oh, okay. I, I think on this occasion we'll add some thallium and a worm, just to give it a little tequila twist. The worm sounds good. Hey, Doctor. Hey, I just received this letter here from you. All right. I can't read a word it says. Are you drunk either. when you wrote this thing or something? No, it's just a standard letter, standard a font size. Standard letter? Standard font size. Don't know what that is. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can't read what it says. Mm. I need your help, I guess. Or I'm going to have to shoot you. Right, okay, okay. Right off on my horse. Well, hold on, hold on. In the future, there are going to be these medical exams. Whoa, whoa, slow down. You know about the future? No. Well, 
this is the beginning of the future, right here, oh, wow. where everyone's going to be invited every six and a half, possibly seven and a half <laughs> months, for an exam of their uncomfortable parts. Oh. I, I think this is the tequila talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. That was very good. Right, well, let's see it replayed once more. Um, and I would like to see it replayed in the style of a rom-com. Well, Miss Christie, have you made any uh, lotions recently? <laughs> I'm sorry, Doctor, is something starting to itch? Um, could well be, could well be. Um, um, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you, you write indecipherable prescriptions. Um, I, was, I was trembling, you see, um, because of my emotions. I don't know what to do. Uh, hey, Doctor, I just received this uh, note from you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've got to say, I'm, I'm flattered. I, 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 I don't know how you're going to take this, but um, this is something standard that I do to all my employees. I know what you're trying to say. Don't worry, I'll start stripping off right here. Yeah, this is not how it works, really. It's not how it works. No. Come on, I know what you really want, don't you? And the dispenser is cold, closed and you need to get a room. <laughs> Okay, well, whatever's easiest. Um, you, whatever you want, Doctor. But I, I think we should be postponing this for about six months until I make up my mind. <laughs> and see, there we go. I mean, Hugh Grant is out of a job. That's all I can say on the back of that. Well, thank you very much, uh, Radu, Johnny, and Catherine. That was an excellent piece of improv. So let's move on to our second science section after that excellent improv. And the title chapter of Catherine's book, A is for Arsenic. Now, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book, Catherine, um, is the brief history you give of the use of arsenic as a poison throughout history. So for our um, listeners at home, arsenic is the 14th most common element, but it's principally arsenic trioxide, or white arsenic, which is usually used in poison cases. Now, it's interesting to see um, the use of arsenic as a poison dated back as far as the time of um, Cleopatra, Catherine, I believe that's right. Absolutely. When Cleopatra decided to do away with herself, she wanted a painless death and to make an attractive corpse. So to discover this, she took a very scientific approach and she lined up her slaves and she tested different poisons on them and watched the results. As you do. And arsenic was one of the ones that she tested and decided that there was no way that she was taking arsenic because it was far too unpleasant. And she ended up going for the bite of an asp, which... Um, uh, reassuringly would have hurt like hell and she would have need to, needed some cosmetic touches afterwards wow I mean I guess if you've if you've got a a bank of slaves available to you crazy things go on it, it's disappointing that more of us don't <laughs> <laughs> well arsenic continued to be used throughout history um, being utilised as a form of poison in re Renaissance Europe right through to the French royal court um, but some of the applications of arsenic to the act of killing were rather surprising and frankly quite alarming. Um, Catherine, perhaps you can explain how contact with arsenic to the derriere, as the French would say, can also be very, very deadly. So this is a postulated method of killing someone with arsenic. I don't know if anyone actually did it, mm. but the suggestion was that you soaked arsenic into the tail of a shirt and then you allowed it to dry, so that when uh, someone touched the shirt into their kex, it would be absorbed through the bottom and mm. it would kill them. Uh, it seems implausible, 
but uh, they've tested this on guinea pigs, poor shaved guinea pigs, and oh uh, rubbing them with arsenic, and it does indeed poison them. There was even a case very recently, it wasn't with arsenic, but someone um, soaked paraquat, which is a, a weed killer, into her husband's underpants and presented them to him on the occasion of their daughter's wedding, and he had to sit through the wedding um, getting progressively iller until um, he eventually ended up in hospital and was in intensive care for two weeks. So it's certainly possible to uh, poison someone through their bottom. And just briefly dwelling on this uh, wedding example, so beyond the um, obvious itching, are there no obvious side effects? This guy just pulled on a pair of pants? Um, no, it, there are corrosive aspects okay. to paraquat, which would have helped absorption into the bloodstream. Oh. He was clearly very ill. Um, he had problems with breathing. Okay. And it was very serious, and it's a very, very unpleasant example. Fortunately, he recovered. I don't know how fully. Gosh, I mean, that is absolutely pants. There's no way it is, to, to yeah. describe it, other than anything else than that. Um, but by the time of the Industrial Revolution, um, I, I would have thought with such examples of um, terrible arsenic usage, uh, there would have been greater awareness of the potential dangers of the poison. But if anything, um, there seems to have been a dramatic increase. Um, and arsenic was used commercially in everything from makeup, wallpaper, and even sweets. And I believe there was a, a pretty graphic and rather yeah, disgusting sweets example. White arsenic. It looks an awful lot like sugar or flour, and mistakes have been made mm. because there was no laws out labelling stuff back in the 1800s. Uh, so there was one example, well, food adulteration was common, so people would bulk up food items with inert substances like chalk or, or whatever. Unfortunately, one person went to the wrong tub of white powder and scooped up a lot of arsenic, mm. proceeded to make the sweets, and then they were sold, and I believe 20 people died. Um, something like that and amazingly no one was prosecuted because technically they hadn't broken any laws uh, they have by today's standards obviously mm-hmm. but uh, not back then so yes there were, it's frankly how anyone survived beyond 1900 in the UK is beyond me <laughs> it does seem to be pretty rife with, with danger and I guess this did to some extent um, create um, a, a cultural fear of arsenic and it did become quite um, yes, and the fear, I think, greatly outweighed the reality of poisonings. Uh, if you look at media hype, is not a new thing. There's yes. a lot of media hype at the, the time. And because poisoning is so rare, it gets an awful lot of attention. So it seems disproportionate. And there, there were lots of people around who maybe had vendettas and were making accusations against other people. So it, it was vastly blown out of proportion. I suppose one of the things that struck me was that the, the fear or the blown out of proportion fear of, of arsenic kind of reminded me of um, the fear of anthrax that happened after 9-11 where there was only a limited number of examples but um, it, it really took off in the press and was absolutely but um, anthrax a bit like arsenic it's in soil it's it's everywhere it, mm. it's um, it's around and you wouldn't expect it to be available but it is and it's this fear of the unknown I think if you know more about um, what goes on with poisoning cases be it anthrax or arsenic I would hope you would be far less likely to actually use these substances because it is horrific yeah well we mentioned at the start that the uh, arsenic is the 14th most common element and it is therefore uh, fairly readily available and um, Radu um, in electrical and electronic engineering, it's interesting that arsenic also has many uses in your field of electronics. Um, and it's not just a deadly poison, it actually has quite useful mm. um, everyday uses. 
There might be a lot of them, but I'll only mention one. Okay. So um, in silicon electronics, the chips that we have everywhere, literally these days, um, silicon atoms are arranged in neat fashions, and each silicon atom connects to four other silicon atoms because they have these four electrons that they can use to connect. Now, if you replace one silicon atom with an arsenic atom, say, what happens is that the arsenic atoms has five of these electrons that it can use to connect to other atoms. So it will connect to four silicon atoms, as a silicon atom would, um, but there's one electron that can't connect to anything. So it's left free, and that means that it can participate to current flow. So basically, for each arsenic atom in a silicon surface or in a silicon uh, mass of atoms, you get one free electron. And this is the way we make our semiconductors conductive. And this is the way we actually make them do something useful. Amazing. So arsenic, quite useful. And are you aware of any other deadly substances which have multiple applications? Um, the way, well, to, the way to think about it is that a lot of the quite conventional substances that we use in processing our, our electronics and technology can be quite dangerous. Some of them would be, I don't know, acids or substances that might dissolve something or might be quite reactive. So you wouldn't want to be in their presence while the devices are made. But once that's done, the electronics are quite safe, obviously. And that's part of, uh, partly for, for the reason that we kind of eliminated, um, especially, say, in the last 15 years, all sorts of um, problematic materials from electronics. There used to be things like lead and, mm. and other, other materials quite happily there. And, and, you know, it's sold and, and you name it. Uh, but these days, quite safe. Amazing stuff. It is incredible how substances sort of change with time. And I think that's a, a good example of things being dropped in favour of, sort mm. of safer substances as, as technology progresses. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to our uh, next improv game. And this improv game is called New Choice. Now, in this game, Radu, Catherine, and Johnny will be having a conversation. I will be the new choicer. And whenever I shout new choice, the person speaking has to immediately think of something completely different on the spot without hesitating to think. And I can assure you this game uh, will go a million miles from our starting point, uh, which for this round will be uh, the word poison. So we've been talking about arsenic. Um, now, it can be anything in relation to poison to get us started. So Radu, Catherine, and Johnny, poison, please take it away. Well, he's dead. Your choice. Miraculously, he's alive. Um, all the tests said he had a few hours left at most, but he's still here. Um, the question is, what do we do with him? Um, Are we going to have to kill him again? Because really, the last time was traumatic. Your choice. Um, I'm so glad that he made it through. It was I was devastated when I heard that he might be able to, he might die. Your choice. Um, I'm so relieved that he's going to make it. Now he can go on and, and uh, do that painting course he always <laughs> dreamed of. Hello, guys! I made it. God, he's here. Hi. Uh, so excited for you that you're you're alive. New choice. Uh, honestly, I'm. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that you're, you're still alive. Okay, that's, that's rough. I know that sounds really rough. It's just that when I found out you were dying, I sort of self-reflected a lot. I dealt with all that sadness and everything we'd been through together. 
It's and not true. We talked about this. We wanted a great anecdote to tell the press. Okay, but I'm here. Your choice. Um, yeah, all right. Um, if, if you don't need me, I'm just going to go on that painting course. <laughs> Be careful what paints you use. <laughs> I am going to now. <laughs> Which thing are you going to paint? Um, I think I'm going to paint a murder scene. Your choice. I think I'm going to paint um, the uh, aftermath of a murder scene. Your choice. I think I'm going to paint the uh, Inquisition that happens after a murder scene. Your choice. <laughs> I think I'm going to paint the killer just before thinking about murdering someone. Before they even think about yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. So they're just going to be like doing washing up or something. Do so yeah. you know who poisoned you? Yeah, I might base this on, on, on that holiday photo we took last week. Okay, so you're... you're Instead of submitting the photo to the police, you're going to paint a picture for them? That's really yeah. sweet. Yeah, that's good, yeah. yeah. I think they'll like that. Actually. New choice. I don't think they'll like that. New choice. <laughs> I think they'll love that, you know. I think they'll really get it because they must Paintings get so Paintings give sick. so much more. Exactly. Than it's a personal touch. It's like, um, it's like when you give someone a present that you made yourself instead of just buying, you know, I don't know. A... I, I, I'm loving the idea. I'm glad you're behind me in more ways than one. Uh, I'm on <laughs> You're right. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Great stuff. That was a new choice. Thank you, T. Well, it's time for our final section of the show, and it wouldn't be right to discuss murder mysteries without an improvised game of Who Done It. Now, in a minute, I'm going to ask Johnny to leave the podcast room and come back when called for. Johnny, in this game, you have committed a murder, and based on clues from myself, Catherine, and Radu, you will have to guess how you killed the individual, where you killed them, and what your motive was. So, Johnny, if you could leave the room, please. All right. Okay, for our listeners, I can assure you Johnny is no longer in the room, so we are at liberty to make rude comments about him at will. Uh, whilst the temptation to do so is frankly immense, I'm going to actually use this opportunity to tell Catherine and Radu the heinous crimes that Johnny has committed. So, for the purposes of the game, Johnny has killed the individual using freestyle dance, killed the individual in Guildford Castle, and his motive was his victim had a large collection of signed Agatha Christie novels um, than he did, resulting in uncontrollable jealousy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Well, let's get Johnny back in the room. Hi, yeah, take a seat, please. <coughs> okay, so, Bob, you're joined here by um, PC Stratford and PC Smith. My name is uh, Lieutenant Gilbert. Um, hi, Gilbert. Hi, everyone else. Thank you. Hello. Hi, thanks for coming. So, you've uh, committed a serious, serious crime here. Yeah, um, I did it. Well, you no, got me. Congratulations. It's not in disrepute at all here. Um, yeah, I mean, really awful. Um, I mean, where did you bust those shapes from? What, sorry? Bust those shapes from. I mean, they were literally lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you knew how to boogie, but I mean, what, what I, did you I think? I got elements of ballet and jazz in, was, in that whole, whole was, thing. It was beautiful, yet horrific at the same time. Yeah, it was, it was deadly, but um, there was a lot of vibrancy to it. It's true. I'm sure the Arts Council would fund it. They probably um, would. BBC. BBC, BBC yes. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of potential. It's a shame that someone had to die in the process. Yeah, I mean, that's actually what my victim said 
uh, right before I killed them with dance. They said how beautiful it looked. Indeed, yes. Well, I mean, dance was it. And um, the, the type of dance you employed was very loose. Um, it didn't have any control. It was almost like you were just making it up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Freestyle, I guess. It was very freestyle. Well, I mean, my fellow uh, police officers, I don't know about you, but um, the choice of location for the murder was surprising. Atrocious. Um, I mean, embarrassing with all those tourists. And I, well, having to pay the entrance fee as well. I mean, it, it seems like an extra added deterrent to, to your victim. That was to, a low. I mean, you must have spent about £12.50 just to get into the grounds. Yeah. And the place doesn't even have a roof. I mean, I suppose you use that so you could wash away the evidence. Exactly. I mean, and of all the places, it's not very... I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of on the periphery of, of, of London. Why would you do that? Well, it's just somewhere they frequented. I mean, does it even have a fort? No, I don't think it does. Know, is it, is it a moat? It does have nice ornamental gardens. Nice so. ornamental gardens. That That's is lovely. That's just burying them in the flower bed were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they look nice. <laughs> Impressive. So why did you do it there? Why? Was it the history? Was it the fact that many hundreds of years ago, one king stayed there for about two nights? Yeah. Was it just the fact that a lot of posh people would like to hang out there at weekends? Both of those things combined. Yeah, all of those reasons. Well. Actually, I think it's the the Alice in Wonderland link. Oh, perhaps. Perhaps it was that. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) We're we're drawing blanks here, and if you're not careful, we're going to have to put the drawbridge down. We're going to have to really... um, Shoot some arrows from the roof because mm-hmm. you know you're not on board with all of that improvised dance. Why don't you just drop him from the battlements? Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. a good point. I mean, as far as heroes go, you are not a knight in shining armor. You're a, an evil villain. You that's know. why I did it in the castle. Uh, you did. You did do it in the castle. I forget the specific castle. Well, but it's definitely it's important that we know because we want all the evidence recorded. <laughs> so you know, it was like we said on the periphery of London. Very close to a university. Why would you do it so close to all those students just looking to learn? There was a lot of posh people too. Yeah, there were a lot of posh people around. So close to home as well. So close to home. It's almost like it's not far from here where we are right now. You mean uh, Guildford Castle? It is. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I've forgotten the name of my PCs, but uh, I'm, I'm so overcome by this, this case that... Uh, Can I say this is a really weird method of interrogation? No, <laughs> it's normal. This is how the police force works now. Okay. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot, and the motive was obviously fueled by someone who did a lot in their career. Very prolific, but a, a jealousy of something so so trivial in my mind. I mean, yes, they may be worth money, but... Why? Why? Couldn't you just go to a library? Or eBay. Yeah, there were many routes to get those. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to take my own, my own way to do it. I mean, it seems such a... I mean, murder for, for, the, for, the, for the requisition of murder, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that you could learn more about, about murder. Why would you do that? Because I want to get better. I want to kill more and more people. Oh, it was like that, was it? Well, I'm glad we're going to be locking you away. You were learning from the master, though, I suppose. Yes. Yes. That person knew a lot. It's almost like we talked about it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. But to take out a, a rival in that way, it's, it's just 
awful just because someone likes books. I mean, I think you were going to crush the victim with the weight of all of those books because there were so many books. Mm-hmm. Was it 80 something? Yeah, there yeah. was more than 80. <laughs> 83? I think it might have been 83. Yeah. Did you have all of them? We never found out. Uh, all of them, yeah. Okay. Agatha Christie. Yes. <laughs> I knew it a while ago. Well, I think that's close enough. I hope you're, 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 you're damn angry about your freestyle dance in your Guildford Castle and your signed Agatha Christie novels. You hope I'm angry about it? Is that what you said? Yes, I'm hoping. Well, I'm angry that you're locking me away. Because what I did was right, and I'll do it again. I'll do it again in an instant. Let's just say that those wallpapers look like they might have something in the paste. <laughs> and you might breathe it in. And those sweets on the desk, they're kind of coloured weirdly. Maybe you shouldn't eat those. I'm going to get attention here. They have wallpapers and cells? They do now. (laughs) 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 There we go. Well, that was Who Done It. Thank you, Johnny, for for working out your slightly bizarre, but still still heinously bad crime. You're welcome. Excellent. Uh, That game is very stressful for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that does bring us to the end of our science and improv adventure. Today, we've learnt never to trust anyone called Mr. P, that freestyle dance can be used as a deadly weapon. And that if you don't protect it, your bottom can kill you. My thanks to Johnny Bryars, uh, Dr. Radu Spuria for joining me on this episode, and to Catherine Harkoff, whose book A is for Arsenic is out now. Uh, we hope to see you again for another episode. Thank you for listening. I'm Mark Richardson. This was Just Enough, Doctorate to Perform. <laughs>